0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week we go back and forth between Dean's art house picks and Becky's blockbusters, and we try and figure out, are these movies actually good, or are we just trying to torture each other? I'm your host, Dean, and joined by the Queen of Halloween, Miss Boo. How are you doing this week?
1: I'm doing good, Dean. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm
0: doing pretty good. Can't can't uh, complain.
1: And just to take part on what you were saying earlier... We don't try to torture each other with our picks, you know. We pick movies that we love, that have, you know, made impacts in our film careers, our lives. But I think you're just out to get me.
0: What do you mean that I'm out to get you?
1: Because I know your art house picks. I know stuff that you have scheduled for the future. You're out for blood. What do you mean? You're like... like, You're just
0: mad about Eraserhead.
1: I'm going to be mad about Eraserhead for a while. That was a rough movie.
0: So mean, so mean.
1: I mean... You subjected me to that. Like three episodes in. You couldn't like, you know, just let me work my way up to it. You're like, no, I'm just gonna throw you into a racerhead.
0: Honey, if you can watch a racerhead, you can watch anything.
1: Mm, I don't know. I don't think I could sit that through that movie you were telling me about where it's just a blue wall for I don't know, eight hours or
0: It's not a blue wall. It's a it's a picture of a blue painting. Uh huh. And it's only ninety minutes. Only. And it's called blue. Only. It, It's interesting.
1: This week is a Becky's Blockbuster hit. It is kind of in the spooky category since we're doing our Scary Christmas theme this month. And it's not only a Blockbuster pick, it is also an anniversary pick. We are doing Edward Scissorhands for its 30th anniversary this year.
0: God, when was the last time you watched Edward Scissorhands?
1: Prior to, uh, you know, picking up information for this episode?
0: Yeah, prior to the episode
1: probably earlier this year. I I try to watch it a couple times a year. Really? Yeah, it's one of my Christmas time movies I watch, and I'll watch it mid-year because I really enjoy the film.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen this movie since I was like 10,
1: maybe? I
0: think. It's been a long time, I'll put it that way.
1: And you were kind of apprehensive about watching the film again.
0: Yeah, well that just has come down to the fact that I'm, I have learned that I'm not a huge fan of Tim Burton's like shtick,
1: and I love Tim Burton
0: yeah so you know there's that but yeah most of like Tim Burton's movies I find they are a lot of style without a lot of stuff underneath it um like my favorite one of his films is Big Fish
1: it's a really good movie
0: it's a very good movie and it has his weird kind of expressionistic storybook style works because it's told in like flashbacks and dad is telling him like these stories and it makes sense in that but when you're in like the current day then it's oh it's very much you know real and it's more grounded granted i like the original batman movie but you know it's a a batman movie
1: i mean it's a batman movie with michael keaton and danny elfman scoring batman The, the you know the amazing batman score that has you know moved on to the batman adventures I mean, you can't think of that series without thinking of that theme, that opening theme into the show itself. It's just, it's beautiful. Oh, I, yeah. I love Danny Elfman. I love that him and Tim Burton are so close that whenever they do a movie, they have to be paired together. I mean, you can't have one without the other.
0: Well, that actually goes into Mr. Tim Burton's fascination with Johnny Depp, because I think him and Johnny Depp, they make movies exclusively together.
1: Yeah, and this was their first film together, and this was the start of their friendship. And this would turn into, I, I don't want to say a lifelong career because they're still very much alive and kicking, but they mm-hmm. have been together since '89 when this movie was shot, mm-hmm. and we're still going strong till present day.
0: Uh, which is kind of interesting because Johnny Depp was always the, er, during his early careers, he wanted to be the the art house actor he didn't really want to be like that the big blockbuster famous guy and then you know disney came a knock and he's like
1: yeah i'll do that that sounds
0: grandiose but you know
1: well i mean he's also incredibly talented too so he really couldn't stick with just kind of the art house movies small movies Betty and johnny June, yeah johnny, johnny depp, depp is, nightmare
0: on uh, elm street
1: nightmare on elm street is a classic and that's johnny's first movie mhm But he was made for the big screen. He is a blockbuster actor.
0: He is now. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, there's so many movies that Johnny Depp has done that I love. And I mean, not just Tim Burton movies, just other movies on their own.
0: I guess let's talk a little bit about this movie, Mr. Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. So, Boo, you want to give us a brief run of maybe the plot? What is is the three-sentence summary of this movie?
1: Three-sentence summary.
0: You know... There's a little bit of spooky going on, there's a little bit of romance going on, there's there is. Is a little bit of Vincent Price in there.
1: I mean, if you're not going to remember anything about this movie prior to going into it, you at least have to remember Vincent Price.
0: I think it's just a thing where he, this was his last movie?
1: Yeah, this was his last movie before he died. He died, I think, before the movie premiered?
0: Something like that, yeah, Well, because he had like lung cancer or something like that. Because the guy was a three pack a day smoker for like, he also had Parkinson's. So
1: a lot of his role in the movie was condensed because he just couldn't, you know, do Do it. Yeah. yeah. So Tim Burton really had to cut down a lot of his scenes because he just couldn't physically do it. So it would have been interesting to see what Tim Burton had originally envisioned for this film, you know, how much more Vincent Price would have been a figure in this Mm because maybe spoiler alert, maybe he wouldn't have died in the film
0: oh no i think he would have had to die to make the the plot work
1: he could have or he just could have decided i'm not gonna gift you hands i'm just gonna keep you with these scissor hands
0: well that makes him like the villain of the piece
1: it's not a villain because i mean edward still has these hands and he's not a bad guy he's just you well, know this is part of him
0: well that's the i think that's the thing with tim burton's like oeuvre that's his like art stuff where it's um i don't know if he how close he is with his father but i noticed that comes up a lot in his Mm -hmm. movies where it's like in big fish it's about like reconnecting with your Mm -hmm. father who you're estranged with this it's like this young man who lost his father and now he's like alienated in the world because he doesn't have that figure to kind of guide him Mm -hmm. anymore even in uh, actually even in batman because (laughs) bruce wayne's parents are dead
1: spoiler dean
0: yes that's a hundred year spoiler right there ladies and gentlemen you
1: know maybe people didn't know that his parents were dead
0: yeah, maybe people also don't know that Superman's from Krypton. And you know, who didn't know?
1: I mean, is this just like a spoiler-tastic episode where he's going to be telling everybody all the secrets out there in Hollywood? <sighs> Absolutely.
0: You know, right. we're, we're on the cutting edge here.
1: Okay, I'm down for that. But yeah, so. Three sentences about this film: we've got a creation, mm-hmm. we've got a love story, and we have an epic fight at the end.
0: Frankenstein. Pretty much. So this is a Frankenstein. If Frankenstein fell in love with Winona Ryder? And Winona Ryder fell in love with Frankenstein for no particular reason other than he's Frankenstein?
1: And he's sweet.
0: Look, I'll let you know now that I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought I would.
1: And I'm very surprised to hear that.
0: Say what you will, I'm a sap for a good love story. But there's some issues with this movie that we will need to address.
1: I already know what these issues are. He already bombarded me with some of these questions. Well
0: one of those questions was literally just like I was I was just kind of being funny, but it a legitimate concern. but you know there are some story beats that I'm like a little confused by all and right. you're you're the expert. but uh, you know, I'm
1: not. I just happen to be a fan of this movie.
0: Yeah, you watched it more times than you know the sunrise so you know a little bit more than I do.
1: I don't think that's right, but let's get into the conversation all
0: right. Where do you want to start off with? So, you know, you're the, you're the, you know, Becky's blockbuster. You can lead this one.
1: But you're the one with all the questions, so. I, I do. Why don't you hit me with some questions and I'll try to answer them to the best of my ability.
0: Okay. So, first things first, why are his hands scissors?
1: I don't know. De- What? (laughs) I said I would answer them to the best of my ability. Doesn't mean I have to know the answer. I mean, we see the sequence with uh, Vincent Price's character, the inventor, and he's got robots and he's got all sorts of things going on the conveyor belt. I think this was just an idea that he had, you know, hey, I've got this extra robot. Let me kind of turn him into a person and... For, you know, for kicks or for a flare, Let's give him, like, scissor hands. Like, let's see what it does.
0: Yeah, because I know there's that sequence in the movie where they're going over, like, his, like, Edward's origin story, I guess. Well, and we have the flashback yeah, sequence. Yeah, we have the flashback sequence. And it's flipping through pages, and it looks like um the inventor was taking this, ro- this automaton, and he's going to turn him into a full-fledged, like, mm-hmm. man, and it's him in, like, the suit or whatever. Yeah. And I was wondering... Are you trying to just take him through that teenage rebellion phase with the cure haircut and the really pale skin and the leather jumpsuit and the scissor hands? Like, is he trying to make him an emo icon? Is that is that his his thing?
1: I mean, he is an emo icon. Thank you very much. But I don't know. I I think it was just kind of that's how he ended up. And he was his hair was styled after. Mm -hmm. What's his name for the cure? I can't think of his name.
0: Uh, uh, Robert Smith, I think.
1: There you go. Yeah. So his How hair do I was. Know that? I don't know. Beats me. I mean, I had that in my notes, but you just knew that. Yeah. So okay, that's pretty cool. But yeah, his hair was styled after him. And fun fact, I guess Tim Burton wanted Robert Smith to come up with a score for this movie, but he was busy with one of their CDs, like in eighty nine ninety. So that would have been a very different movie if we had the Cure.
0: That would have been a really different movie because Danny Elfman he he likes horns he likes you know orchestras
1: yes uh, I
0: don't think Robert Smith really digs orchestras we would have a full synth like Edward yeah. Scissorhands and I'd be kind of down with that but whatever um, but so,
1: I, but I need you know Danny Elfman's music well you know love oingo boingo love all of his scores. I mean, my Spotify account is just like full of Danny Elfman scores. I can sit through like a day and just listen to Mars attacks, Nightmare Before Christmas.
0: Oh, I I know.
1: It's fun. I know.
0: But yeah, everybody. So, I guess that's the thing is like why does he have scissor hands though? Cuz it seems so impractical. And I I guess that's the the thing, you know, we needed this guy to have a very apparent thing that makes him different and scissor hands was just kind of the coolest thing we could come up with
1: it's pretty cool when you think about it and with, with uh vincent pride as as the um as inventor. the inventor you know this could have been done in a way that he gave him scissor hands that he could help within the lab you know maybe he could be cutting parts for him anything to help himself because his lab was pretty Ahead of itself for the time that this movie is supposed to be taking place. He's got conveyor belts. He's got all sorts of things going on within this laboratory. So it shows what do you that...
0: mean when this movie's taking place?
1: Well, it's taking place like in the 80s, the 90s,
0: the 60s. 60...
1: It's it... weird. Well, it's not the 60s. The whole
0: place looks like it's supposed to be in like a Betty Crockett cookbook, though. Everything's yeah, it... pastels. Everything is like old Cadillacs. The only modern thing is that van. And that van is very A team.
1: Yeah, but it—that's what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like this kind of pastel, boring suburbia where mm-hmm. everything matches. The cars match the houses. That's actually one of my favorite sequences. When, when all the
0: cars pull out.
1: When all the p- cars pull out, and when the cars pull back in uh, in the evening, just to kind of show that this is their kind of boring, mundane life where you know the housewives stay home and mm-hmm. they do everything around the house. And the housewives are all, you know, gossiping about Edward who's been brought to the neighborhood. And they all rush back to their houses because we got to get dinner on the table. It's not until Edward's there that the neighborhood starts to change and kind of, you know... Open, get, up. open up. get some more personality. Because we start with the movie with uh, Diane Weist walking around selling Avon. And that's very, you know, for the time, that's something you would see, you know the stay-at-home mom going around selling, you know, Avon kits and she goes from selling Avon to rescuing Edward and you know, she's getting these cool haircuts from him and they're having parties. So it's kind of cool to see how just his, his influence has influenced everyone around him.
0: Can can I ask you a really um, I I guess a telling question? Sure. What the hell is Avon? It's makeup. Oh okay. Yeah, you. I was. I was pretty sure. Sh- I thought, is that real?
1: Yeah. That's oh, okay. Yeah, don't you remember? Like you know, oh yeah, the the Avon ladies walking around the neighborhood, and it's just a woman who works, you know, for the company, kind of like when they do like Tupperware parties, where they'd go to people's houses, and you know, I could sell you this for like five ninety nine. It's the same with the Avon ladies. They come with like their little suitcase, you... and they open it up, and yeah, I can sell you this lipstick or. You could become an well, Avon person. Where was this? I mean, it's never happened to me personally, but I've seen it in movies. I, I,
0: I guess, yeah. I always <laughs> thought that was lies. Granted, <clears throat> I I, I you know grew up in a place where Avon ladies and Tupperware parties and door-to-door salesmen were never going to happen. Granted, we do get the tamale guy every Christmas. Yes,
1: we do get tamales and the, the Paletero guy coming into our neighborhood. So oh. it's kind of like that.
0: Except, Except with makeup?
1: With makeup, yeah. I mean personally people... I'd rather have food come to my door.
0: People are listening to this and they're just like, What where in the world do these people live? They have tamale guys? What? Yes. Uh, Southern California, everybody. Come come and you know live here and and see the tamale guys come every Christmas. It's really nice.
1: Or, you know, for us we go to downtown LA and we have hot dog carts on just about every corner. With those bacon wrap hot dogs.
0: No, you just go outside the Staples Center. There's, like, rows of them. Rows of them for blocks right after every Laker game. But, yeah. Uh, So, there you go. That's a little little fun fact about uh, Southern California. And this neighborhood in Edward Scissorhands. Not a tamale place.
1: Not a tamale place. It's more of an Avon place. And it's a real neighborhood.
0: Are those houses actually painted like that there?
1: He, um, Tim Burton... Had them painted the colors that they were painted. He kind of was trying to go for like this pastel, old kind of circus vibe.
0: Well, it looks it it looks like a storybook. I think mm-hmm. this this is a weird observation. And tell me if I'm going off on a weird like mind loop. So you you know Wes Anderson, right? Yes. Grand Budapest Hotel, Life of Steve Zizu, Royal Tenenbaums, and his style is very like. Storybook, it like Mm -hmm. he shoots very flat dimensions. Everything's like these, you know, mustards and browns, or they're like, or there is color. They're very like pastel. They're very, you know. Oh
1: yeah, when you think of Wes Anderson, you think of a color palette. Yeah, like Grand Budapest Hotel, I think of that iconic purple that's throughout the movie.
0: Yeah, and I was watching Edward Scissorhands, and I couldn't help but thinking, is Tim. Like if Tim Byrne and Wes Anderson are they on the same line? It's just a different lens because they're both trying to tell like storybook mm-hmm. kind of movies. Because this opens literally with you know, oh, Ma- Grandma, why is it snowing outside? And yeah. Grandma's like, I'll tell you a story, little Billy. Granted, it's a girl, it's so a girl, little yeah. Sally. <laughs> and you know, she tells him the story of Edward Scissorhands and why it snows in the neighborhood. Yeah. And I think that's probably the thing with the with. Edward Scissorhands and Tim Burton, he's going for that storybook feel, and it's filtered through this kind of weird, expressionistic lens that Tim Burton has. Whereas Wes Anderson, when he's doing it, it's a lot more, like, pop-up book. It's a little, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more tamed. Also, I'm very confused as to why the grandmother told the story of how Edward almost got raped in the back of a hairdressing salon.
1: Yeah. That I would have been have... a
0: concerning story, right?
1: I would have left that out of the story, Yes. And how he was accused of rape when he didn't do anything to her.
0: Yeah, or that, you know, uh, Edward murdered a man in cold blood in a, and threw him out of a window.
1: Hey, he was protecting the woman that he loved. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. He or how he
0: stabbed the woman he loved on accident. I on mind. accident, I he mind. accidentally
1: cut her palm. Yeah. There's lots of accidents.
0: There's lots of accidents.
1: And to be fair, her ex-boyfriend did... Push her. I think he punched her. He slapped her across the face. I don't remember.
0: I think he, I think he shoved her, or did he? Did he clock her? I don't remember
1: actually. He shoves her first, and there's this whole tussle at the end of the movie. We'll we'll get back to that later, but let's get back to the houses. So the houses are real. Okay. He did paint the houses so they they all kind of you know match. They're all these weird pastel colors, and one thing I saw when I was doing research was for some of the houses he built like facades of the houses Mm. over them and he narrowed the windows to kind of give the neighborhood like a paranoid kind of feeling. So you feel like the neighborhood's kind of watching you. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it adds to it because he's this stranger in the neighborhood, and it's it feels like
0: oh, like like he modified the front of the houses mm-hmm. so all of them had windows in front of it.
1: Well, they all had windows, but the windows were narrow, so they kind of look like eyes that were just kind of following you as you walk by.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that. What is it? That's why the Amityville Horror house or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody finds it creepy because it looks like a face. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I noticed that, and it's it's supposed to be filmed in, like, Florida or something like that? Yeah. That's where it
1: is? It is in Florida. See,
0: I didn't, I remember these things from when I, I researched.
1: You do, and then Edward's castle that's, like, at the end of the block, which is kind of weird. You know, you have this suburbia, and you get to this cul-de-sac, and there's this huge mansion.
0: Well, it's this giant mountain of doom, and then this uh, gothic mansion up there, which I would imagine Vincent Price probably did live in, you know?
1: And if I had the opportunity, you know, do you want to live in this free suburbia house or the gothic mansion? Obviously, I'm gonna choose the gothic mansion.
0: It's true. Granted, the drive up there must be terrible.
1: Nice drive, though. Eh, you know, it'd be spooky. But yeah. But I love the gothic mansion. Uh,
0: there's also a ton of miniature work in this, and there's... matte paintings, and all this, and all the other stuff. And so, I know the effects in this movie are. A little, they're from the, they're of the time, yeah, nineteen nineties, and you know, CGI computer technology wasn't the norm yet. Mm-hmm. It was, it was getting there, but um, yeah, you can you can tell when something's a miniature. You can tell when something's a oh, painting, definitely. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was an intentional thing, or it's like Tim Burton's like, we're not really going for a realistic thing here, which that's probably the intent. He's like, look. Everybody's going to know it's a mad painting. Everybody's going to know this is going to look weird. Just lean into it. It'll be fine. I'm Tim Burton. It, look at my crazy hair.
1: It, it's just there to make the story go. Yeah. And I love, you know, when uh, Diane Weiss' character Peg is headed up towards Edward's house, you know, you see all the, the statues along the, the manor or the, the mansion. And have you seen Frank and Weenie before by Tim Burton?
0: No, but you're talking about the hedge, the like the. Or well, the hedges, right?
1: Not the hedges, but like the actual um, the the stone figures that are along the mansion. They're they're mostly like animals. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they what you're they reminded about.
1: me a lot of the busts from Frank and Weenie, mm-hmm. like in the Pet Cemetery. They kind of reminded me of uh, the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland too.
0: That is legitimately what I thought this this house was modeled after, because that's kind of what it looks like out the, on the on the front of it.
1: And he did work for Disney for a period of time, so. Did he? Yeah, he used to be an animator for Disney, so...
0: That makes so so much sense.
1: Yeah, so it could be like a little, you know, nod to Disney, their Haunted Mansion, because when you do go through the queue at the Haunted Mansion, you get to see more of the Pet Cemetery, and there's, you know, little busts of the actual pets on some of the tombstones there, Mm -hmm. so that's what it felt like we were getting a little nod at, looking at Edward's house.
2: Yeah,
0: it feels like there's a lot of references to things that Burton either did before, or you know, Burton likes it, because this was his fourth movie, right? This was right, or this was right after Batman.
1: Yes, this was right after Batman. Um, Edward himself was a figure that Tim Burton created in high school. hmm So it's a lot like Nightmare and some of the, his other movies where he's been drawing these figures for so long. He's finally, like, giving them their due and their story.
0: Well, I've always had this theory that, um, the the director's first film is usually like oh the, you know they're there it's low budget you know it's their vision and they're just trying to get it on there and you don't really get the full scope of a director's um auteurist qualities like the personal stories and all this other stuff until after their big financial success because mm-hmm. like with batman you know that it was a huge blockbuster Probably told every studio in Hollywood. It's like, okay, this guy's a safe bet. Yeah. And then he's like, then they ask him, it's like, okay, you have carte blanche because we know you're a success. What do you want to make? And he's like, I want to make Edward Scissorhands, which is a very weird kind of you personal story, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what it feels like. It's not like Beetlejuice, which, by oh, the way, oh, i
1: love Beetlejuice. Exactly.
0: We're. Beetlejuice feels like that freshman effort where it's like, I'm going to throw everything at this movie because I don't know if I'm going to make another
2: movie.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Grant, it's kind of weird because he started with Pee-wee's Big Adventure, right? That was his first film.
1: Another great movie. I can't believe you haven't seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure.
0: Yes, everybody, don't freak out. I own it on DVD. My parents got it for me years ago, like a decade ago, and I've never watched
1: it. We will be doing this episode because this is an episode, or not an episode. This is a movie that I quote all the time. Yeah, i love peewee i grew up with the show and yeah. the movies
0: my brother loved Pee-Wee's playhouse when it was like on adult swim mm-hmm. so and i don't know why Wee's playhouse was on adult swim yeah but they used to do like reruns of it and me and my brother we'd be up late at, late at night so it'd be like home movies space Ghost coast, coast to coast uh, aqua teen hunger force metal and then peewee's big peewee's playhouse and we're like this is weird, but whatever. We're like, just, just going to watch this because we can't sleep.
1: Well, but, that yeah. and you also have to tune in for the word of the day.
0: Ah, ah! Word of the day.
1: Love word of the day. Yeah. Also, Pee-wee's house from Pee-wee's Big Adventure is in Pasadena.
0: Yeah, you told me about this. Did we go and visit it
1: yet? I think Not we did. Not yet, but it's down the street from my cousin's house. So yeah. we definitely have to go make a drive and see it.
0: Yeah, because that's the fun part about where we are located. Uh, we're really close to all the filming locations for a lot of movies. Like, we've seen the Michael Myers house, we've seen... Uh, Doc um, Brown's Doc's house. Doc Brown's house, yeah. And that's like not like we're going out of our way, we just kind of pass by when we're going places sometimes.
1: But, yeah, usually yeah. if we plan a day, we'll look and see what filming location is nearby, and we just kind of build our day around it.
0: Well, you, you do that. I build my day around what food places are next to it.
1: That is true. I like, mean, I'd really like to go see the E.T. house. That would be cool. Well, you're terrified of E.T. I like E.T. There's something about him that just kind of freaks me out a little bit.
0: It's the stucco and chicken wire, isn't it? It's
1: the way he moves.
0: Because of stucco and chicken wire.
1: And then that weird noise he makes just freaks me out. But, anyway. I digress. So, back back to the
0: point. So, I feel like he makes Batman. Studios are like, okay, you got carte blanche do whatever you want. He makes Edward Scissorhands. And that's kind of telling to me because it's like okay he's this now he has this big huge financial success with batman he's gonna make edward scissorhands which is a much smaller film Mm -hmm. than batman i i don't think i'm gonna shock anybody by saying that and you can and everything in there you can tell is kind of meticulously placed yeah and he chooses to do you know the, the very apparent miniature work the map paintings and all these other things and it's it's uh really interesting. So I feel like Edward Scissorhands and you know, the Wes Anderson films, you know, Tim Burton Wes Anderson yeah. on the same line. It's I'm telling a, a basically a fairy tale, with you know, a story mm-hmm. book kind of world, and this is the lens I'm looking through it at. And he's basically telling Frankenstein as like a bedtime story with a love story in it.
1: Well, yeah, him and What is her name? I have her name in my notes.
0: Winona Ryder.
1: No, not Winona Ryder. I love Winona Ryder, though. If
0: if anybody's wondering, she's going to say, Oh, man, I love X-Person from Tim Burton's oeuvre every time we bring him up.
1: That would be true, because I do love a lot of the people that are in Tim Burton's movies.
0: Hello, Bob Carter?
1: Yes. I'm
0: going to keep going. I'm going to keep thinking of people.
1: I mean, you forgot Crispin Glover.
0: Oh, Crispin Glover. Wait, what's Christmas Glover's in?
1: Alice in Wonderland.
0: Oh, God, that's right. You like the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movies.
1: I wasn't too crazy about the second one. It was good, but the first one, that's where it was at. And the topiaries in the first one kind of reminded me of the topiaries in this movie. Because we, we go to the Red Queen's castle, we see a lot of those animal topiaries throughout her gardens. And that's what it kind of brought me back to was this film.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, still not a fan of uh, Alice in Wonderland. Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland? Not a fan.
1: Yeah, I'm a fan, so that's all that matters. Well, you know. But the, the writer of this movie, her last name's Thompson, I'm, I'm blanking on her first name, her and Tim Burton, when they were making this film, a lot of their inspirations for Edward were based off of a lot of Universal movies. So that Hunchback, doesn't surprise Hunchback, Phantom, all. Frankenstein, King Kong... Creature from the Black Lagoon a lot of these classic movies movies that I love were inspirations for building Edward
0: okay so all Tim Burton is is if Wes Anderson and Guillermo del Toro had a baby and you know coolest
2: baby ever
0: and was in a goth phase for like the entirety of their adult life fan of the
1: Smiths and the Cure yes Yeah,
0: and I know this is funny because I'm I'm almost 90, I'm like 100% sure that Guillermo del Toro and Wes Anderson started making movies after Tim Burton had already released like a couple of his movies, so Probably. it's not like he's copying them, it's, you know, but it, it's kind of interesting. A lot of um, filmmakers kind of have that same background, like filmmakers of this era, and it's it's kind of interesting that, you know, Wes Anderson and Tim Burton both have that storybook kind of, Mm -hmm. focus and Guillermo del Toro and Tim Burton have that love of universal monsters and like just monster fiction in general and they roll that into their films it's just interesting
1: and Tim Burton Guillermo del Toro Anderson they all have this kind of palette when you think of them you think of you know different color schemes that apply to their movies like this well, movie, that, well, we... that's
0: kind of a thing. With um, I know Wes Anderson because it's apparent throughout like all of his mm-hmm. movies, he has very spe- I'm not gonna say narrow, but a specific color palette that mm-hmm. reappears in a lot of his movies. Yeah. Um, Tim Burton, he's a big fan of very expressionistic, like black and white kind of mm-hmm. things. Um, and you know, if there is colors, it's very you know, you know, circus kind of you know, really saturated, like pinks, blues, reds, mm-hmm. things like that del toro not so much i i can't i mean he the color palettes he uses i feel differ a lot in his movies but i i will say that when you can definitely tell which movie you're watching
1: yeah based on the color palette like you know, shape of she- water
0: is different than chronos though.
1: and um pan's labyrinth
0: pan's labyrinth is different than Blade too yeah which by the way guys uh watch blade 2 that movie is awesome <laughs>
1: So, let's get back to our movie that we're talking about this yeah, week.
0: Yeah. Edward hands.
1: Yeah, so we talked about the houses. The Gothic Mansion is actually based off the California Institute of Arts in Valencia. So, I guess that was kind of his nod to his alma mater. Mm-hmm. So, we still got a little bit of California in this Florida suburban neighborhood. So, yeah. I thought that was kind of cool that kind of kicked it back to California. Okay. Because he did grow up in Burbank, so... You know, the,
0: the Hollywood town. Yeah.
1: Like, it's like, you can't really escape home. Yeah.
0: Well, so there was, so this all stemmed from my question of, uh, are, why the Scissorhands, And then it's like, is that neighborhood real? And now I got another one. Okay. Okay. So why is it that, and this is the, one of the big things about the story that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Why is it that Winona writer Kim mm-hmm. falls in love with Edward, even though up to this point she basically has had almost no contact with him. Like like they have dinner together, but he draws like a steak on her lap. Yeah. Because he's, you know, kind of a klutz. He, her boyfriend is granted, her boyfriend's an, you know, a jerk, but like there's nothing. I I feel like that relationship wasn't built up other than the whole like, oh you're so mysterious and also you look like Johnny Depp. Oh yeah, let's uh let's let's boink.
1: I mean, '90s Johnny Depp. Come on. Ah, uh, you know I'm not not into that. Sorry.
0: Grant. Well, granted, Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. I think were together for a good chunk of the '90s.
1: Yeah, and they were together during the filming of this movie. And when it was close to being released in the theater, they were engaged. So they were very much a couple during this film, and I think that helps with some of Edward's parts when he looks at her. You know, you can see that oh, there, love. There is a
0: loving, longing look. Like, I yeah. will say this: like they they play it well. It's just why is it that when why is it that Kim falls in love with Edward, even though they have had up to that point in the movie almost no one-on-one interaction like it's not like oh it's not like oh you know edward's kind of falling around like a puppy dog and she's just like i'll leave me alone he's just like trying to be nice or whatever it's more like oh edward's falling around and she's just like oh god not this guy again
1: yeah and i think that's why they fall in love even though they don't have a lot of scenes together where they're alone and they're kind of learning about each other even though there's not really much to learn about him because he's lived in this mansion his entire existence, but in the movie, she does have a boyfriend who's played by Anthony Michael Hall from The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone, The Breakfast Club, uh, Sixteen I like, Candles, I like how I Weird just, Science. I like how I just skipped
0: over the entirety of his, you know, young adult career in like the eighties and just went right to the really kind of bad uh, early two thousands yeah. TV show.
1: But I think she falls for him because she's with Jim, who is really this jerk who kind of, you know, pushes her around and tells her what to do, tells their friends what to do, basically. Well, and, he's,
2: the,
0: he's the leader of that Scooby-Doo gang.
1: Yeah, he's the alpha male, the alpha jerk male. And Edward, on the other hand, is this sweet, soft-spoken, you know, I would do anything for you because that's really all I know. You know, we do get this ethics, you know, lesson in the movie when when um, Edward helps... Jim break into his house and Kim's dad is just like if you found a suitcase of money outside would you A give it to your family or B give it to the police and Edward's like well I'd give it to my family to help and
2: I'm
0: just saying just throwing it out there is Jim a okay is Jim a bad person or is he just random obnoxious teenager
1: I think he's obnoxious teenager
0: and does that deserve him being stabbed to death by scissor hands at the end
1: hey man he hit winona in the face you don't hit winona oh
0: that's true it's true but never never put winona in the corner
1: no one puts winona in the corner but i think that's why kim ends up falling for him because he is the opposite of jim and i think she's just so fed up with
0: i just got it This whole story is about how Tim Burton didn't get the girl in high school because he was the quiet, like, super sweet goth guy, and he lost out to, like, the jock alpha male, and this is his revenge story.
1: I mean, he also grew up to marry Helena Bonham Carter, which is...
0: Throwing it out there.
1: Helena Bonham Carter is the best.
0: Tim Burton and Edward Scissorhands have the same haircut.
1: Well, yeah, you know... uh,
0: Come on, people. Edward's
1: based off of Tim.
0: Sheeple. You see... This is this is just a whole revenge movie about that girl who said no to him for the prom. I mean, like, say, am Are you I okay? wrong? Are you okay? I'm just I just know that just kind of dawned on me right now. I'm just like, oh my god, is this really what this movie is? Great, th- there's more to it. You yeah. know, there's a whole like father son dynamic. You know, being lost without a, a person to guide you, and he find and Edward finds his own family in the bogs, and mm-hmm. he you know. There's, like, the mother figure who tries to go through, and he's trying to, you know, find his way in the world through his creativity and, and his I love emotions. I lo- but is this really down to it? This is a story about Tim Burton <laughs> missing out on some prom night hookup, and that's what he made this movie about. I need to know.
1: Well, while your mind is blown over there and you're going through your conspiracies, I love the relationship between Peg and Edward. I just love that she finds him, and initially she's afraid of him, you know. You go into this abandoned mansion in the sky with, you know, knives
0: on his hands. A gaunt, pale, dark figure Mm. emerges from the shadows with,
1: like, two foot long, like,
0: blades on his hands. Yeah, I'd, I'd be afraid to.
1: Yeah, but I like how she kind of turns it around, you know, let me take you home and take care of you. She goes into full mom mode and brings him home, you know, covers up his cuts and kind of tries to get to know him, you know we get to hear him talk and it's just kind of sweet to see their relationship progress through the movie.
0: Yeah, no, she... like that's a, that's a sweet that's actually like one thing about this movie that I'm like, "Oh, that's really sweet." You know, you you know the the whole maternal instincts kicking in right there.
1: And I think that's probably why Kim falls in love with him because she sees, you know, he's not only sweet to her where, you know, Jim makes the joke of, you know, yeah, he'd do anything for you. You know, he would do anything for that family. Yeah.
0: I. Okay. Another question. Okay. Is the inventor's body still lying in the in the lab? Because there's no way Edward can move him.
1: No, his, I mean... He's
0: got those serrated blades, so even if he picked him up, he'd be...
1: No, a lot of the lab looks like it had been taken apart. When we see present day, when Peg and Kim go into the, the mansion at different times... It, a lot well, of stuff that
0: looks like it's like just it's just crumbled from like lack of lack of care and you know this but is kind belt... of a storybook world or whatever it is
1: but the conveyor belts are gone we have like a couple of you know uh standing uh shelves that have like his scissor hands on them but apart from that there's not really much in the mansion so i imagine maybe the state came in and like emptied the place and he just hid
0: follow okay if he just hit follow up question so Edward owns that house, right? That's his house.
1: That's his place. That's, that's his, his crib.
0: That's his that, that that's his crib. Mm-hmm. Now I can imagine, it's like the inventor. He like, oh, I I bequeath this to my only son, Edward Scissorhands. And also it's it's written on the will like in in big block letters with like you know the creep creepy blood spill. But I I'm just curious. It's like so Edward just lives in this giant mansion. He's he. Eats. We see him eat in the movie, even yeah. though he's a automaton,
1: right? Yeah, he's he's supposed to be a robot. I mean,
0: I, I don't know if he's because he I again, like I keep going back to the whole inventor thing and being like, what was what was going on through his head? But it, it, so I assume the inventor was trying to make a son. That's right. That's yeah. like the feeling I get from it. And
1: pulling a lot of ties to Frankenstein, where we you know ties to Frankenstein. We we've got this. Doctor trying to invent or create a human life yeah. on his and own.
0: So he creates this human life. Doctor drops dead. You know, trying to give Edward his new hands. You know, yeah, has oh, a
1: heart attack and just
0: drops dead. Yeah, Edward is like you know, brushes his face and cuts him and all this other stuff. He's like, oh no, oh, everything I touched just gets destroyed. But Edward, Edward didn't, can't call anybody. He can't no. use the telephone. He just how long. Okay, this is where Dean gets into his really, like, that, that's really gross and kind of a cop. But <sighs> how long was was the inventor's body lying on that floor before somebody showed up?
1: I don't know. That's we're a, we're that's not a, supposed to know.
0: And that's another thing. Edward doesn't age, right? No. Could it have been that Edward, like, when he leaves the house, he could be, like, 100 plus years old?
1: He could have been. Could have been 50 years old. 80 years old? We don't know.
0: Could have been two months old for all we know.
1: Yeah. We have no idea how old he is. It's just, he never ages. And that's kind of sad that we see at the very, well, at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie that Kim has, you know, aged into this old woman. She's a grandmother. grandmother, And Edward is still fresh as the day that we first meet him.
0: And it's really weird because I know this is supposed to be like, oh, sweet romance movie about, oh, you know this this you know guy who's misunderstood you know and he falls in love with one owner writer and he's like oh it's so cute oh but he has to leave society because they can never accept him oh woe he's me and then you think about it, it's like oh my god edward's life must be terrible
1: very it, lonely
0: yeah like super lonely and it's like is it worse to know that there's a world out there that you can never go back to or to or just to never know that world at all
1: I think it'd be worse to never know that world at all. Yeah. Because you're lonely for your entire existence. That's something that you're used to.
0: But do you know you're lonely if you've you've never experienced what it's like to be around people?
1: Well, that that loneliness, that you know, feeling in your heart, that thing lingers there. Mm-hmm. That feeling lingers there. And whether you know it or not, you can't escape that feeling. So I think It would be worse, you know, not knowing what's out there. And I think that's what helps him when we see him at the end of the movie and he's still creating sculptures and ice sculptures. He's creating the things that he's seen. You know, kids playing outside. Kim. So it's really... Dinosaurs, which are badass. Love dinosaurs. So I just feel bad for him. Even in the movie when... Is that
0: the theme to All Your your Pigs, you know? Oh raging bull like this this wife beater. You're just like, but I feel so sorry for him. I'm like, you don't feel sorry for him, you just think Robert De Niro's cute. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're like, you don't feel sorry for Edward, <laughs> just think
0: jo- 90s Johnny feel... Depp is cute.
1: I do love nineties Johnny Depp. Yeah, see. It may be a theme.
0: It may be a theme. But
1: I do feel very empathetic towards it. We,
0: we needed a Steve Buscemi as <laughs> Edward Scissorhands and then he'd be like, I don't feel sorry for him at all. Nah, lock him up, throw away the key.
1: Uh, oh my god. We gotta get back to where we were. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well like well that that's kind of the thing. It's like the, that question is really just, you know, Dean putting on his tinfoil hat and following this really weird story yeah. p- to its to its logical conclusion, which really doesn't matter for the story. Like the, the one thing that I came up with that I was like, okay, this is kind of weird, and it kind of irks me in the story, and that was the Monona writer thing. And I feel like that's another thing where we're not supposed to really hold on to that. It's just, this is a story. Why does the princess fall in love with the prince? It's because he's the prince. Yeah. You know, that. that's just how that works. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, they fell in love at first sight. Oh, they. Or it's like, oh, Edward, he electrocuted himself for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, whoa he's me.
1: And Jim thinks it's hilarious, and she's worried about his well-being, not, you know, oh, he embarrassed himself on TV, it's, oh, he probably hurt himself, getting electrocuted. So we start to see that shift of, he's so weird, to, I hope he's okay. I wonder
0: if that's the thing, like, she loves Edward because he's so much the opposite of Jim. Yeah. That's, yeah, okay, so that makes sense. That's
1: what I said, you know, she's been with this jerk... And now she's kind of seeing this guy that would do anything. How would she end up with Jim, though? It's probably a thing of, you know, they're probably a couple of the most popular people in school, and they just kind of ended up together. Yeah. It's something like, oh, yeah, you guys should be together. It it makes sense, you know, class He's, You're a cheerleader.
0: He's, you know, Fred, of course. He's a jock,
1: you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's Daphne and, and Fred, you know, all coming together.
1: Everything in, is Scooby-Doo with you.
0: Boo, for God's sakes, they drive around in a van.
1: It's not there's... the mystery van.
0: Look, no, no meme. I was waiting for a dog to show up in that van.
1: Well, I mean, there's plenty of dogs in the movie. There's a lot of
0: dogs in that movie.
1: And those haircuts were real on the dogs.
0: Oh, I feel so sorry for some of those <laughs> dogs now. Oh, that's
1: tragic. Hey, they're famous though they got paid for the day
0: i get, their owners got paid for the day
1: and they're in you know a cult classic movie so it all evens out
0: yeah so you know i kind of i kind of i have a few more like nitpicky things about okay. the movie but it's like i don't know like most of them are just like when i really think about it it's like well this is a this is a storybook universe the, the, the there's your answer yeah it's like well how does edward know how to how to carve ice or where does he get the 15 foot tall block of ice or whatever to carve the angel. And it's like, is a storybook universe. It is not, that's, that's not it, a question. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant.
1: It's, it's just there. It happens. It's same with him learning how to make topiaries. We don't see, how that happens Well the
0: topiaries I can I can almost I can make sense of that because we see all the topiaries around the manor and he's alone all the time and he has scissor hands that seems like something I could I could understand how he'd be able to do that and be an yeah. expert in that because that's all he does all day.
1: But we don't have a scene of, you know, him learning how to do this. We just see them around the mansion and then once he comes down to suburbia then it turns into yeah let me do this for this neighbor that neighbor this one
0: yeah that makes sense yeah that makes sense to me like that's a logical leap that i can i can easily make Mm -hmm. i don't know but yeah is there any little things you want to kind of point at and and discuss about the movie
1: i mean obviously i love the scene before the the climax of the movie where you know him and jim get into it But I love the scene where he's carving the ice and Winona Ryder's just dancing. dancing. She's
0: dancing in the snow. Oh,
2: the the
1: famous the famous ice dance scene that everyone knows and loves about this movie. And of course, you know, with Danny Elfin's score playing underneath it, it's just perfection. That was
0: one of the scenes that I vividly remembered from this movie, and hundred percent, I thought that was like most of the movie. Yeah, I thought that was like oh, I, I legit like okay again i haven't seen this movie since i was like 10 so all i remembered from this movie was like oh winona Ryder is being wooed by Mm -hmm. by creepy johnny depp with knife hands oh take me
1: hot johnny depp thank you very much yeah yeah
0: sure we'll make the distinction hot johnny depp and i was like is oh that's the whole movie and then i watched it i'm like no that's not that's like the last like half hour of the movie that he's actually like trying to woo her
1: But that's the image that you get when you think of this movie. You don't think of, you know, him uh, when he gets taken to show and tell at Kevin's school or him at the barbecue. You think of the scene between him and Winona Winona Ryder in the backyard. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. I just just love that scene.
0: It's a good scene. It's a really good scene. Hmm.
1: I need to see this on the big screen. I think
0: want to say that AMC's doing a thing where they're letting you rent theaters out. And I think that's right. and I think Edward Scissorhands hands on one of those scheduling things. But I don't know.
1: We just need twenty other er, eighteen other people to come with us to even it out.
0: Oh it'll be like five bucks a person. So yeah, there we'll you consider go. Consider it. Um yeah, you know that's kind of one of those things. But yeah, so that's uh that's Edward Scissorhands. Um again, but like you have any, any other tidbits you want to throw out there before we kind of wrap this up any big things you want to talk about
1: well you know how for movies there's always the first choice and you know we have other choices that the directors have just in case they can't secure their first choice person oh yeah Johnny Depp was of course the first choice for this movie but his alternates were Tom Cruise Jim Carrey Tom Hanks and Robert Downey Jr. Jr.
0: Okay, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this in my head. So, Tom Cruise as Edward Scissorhands. No. Yeah, no, that's not happening. No, nah, like they'd have to get a box to f- a box just so he'd be as tall as Wilton Ryder, uh, who's next? Jim Carrey.
1: Jim Carrey. No. No,
0: nah, nah, it turned into like a it a tur- it would be more of a cartoon than it is now. Yeah. Tom Hanks.
1: Tom Hanks I... can convey that sadness, that emotion, but no. I can't see him as Edward.
0: Well, it'd be young Tom Hanks.
1: Yeah. But even then. Well, yeah, that
0: that's the thing. Like, I do I think I think young Tom Hanks would probably be like worse <laughs> in this. Like, I'm I'm trying to think about it. It's just like
1: young Tom Hanks, I'm, I think. I'm trying of to imagine him big. in that hair. No.
0: In that hair and in that costume. And like I think Tom Hanks would just look too weird.
1: I think the only person apart from johnny depp if there had to be another person to do this would be robert downey jr <sighs> i think he'd be yeah. the only one that could convey that kind of emotion that johnny depp uh, conveys throughout the movie
0: i'll give you it's like okay so here's the issue tom cruise wouldn't work because i just don't think he's because tom cruise is wrong he's actually he's actually a good actor he
1: really is you know
0: uh if you you know doubt me watch like the color of money that's a great movie but Tom Cruise it's like i think at that point in his career i don't think this would have been the movie he would have wanted to make mm-hmm. or have been in interested in making and i don't think that character would have been the character he would want to be playing mm-hmm. don't get me wrong i don't know the guy but that doesn't strike me jim carrey like i think he would want to i don't i just don't think he he would really thrive in like the slapsticky mm-hmm. kind of Funny bits of the movie, but like the dramatic bits, eh, he'd probably do okay. But I don't, I don't think he would just. I don't think he would work with Winona Ryder, to be honest. No. And then it's like Tom Hanks, like
2: I, eh,
0: I think he, Tom Hanks is strictly just because I think he'd look ridiculous in the costume. Yeah. Like, that one, I just, like, I think his face, the, the the makeup, the hat, or the hair, and the costume, I think he would just look ridiculous. I mean,
1: Johnny Depp lost 25 pounds to to play this role, so it's, he really had to slim down and really look yeah. malnourished, very gaunt to be this character, and it's like, I don't think Tom Hanks would have that look.
0: Well, I think of Tom, well, we saw him thin down in Castaway, but I think that's also the thing, is Tom Hanks, I think, is a naturally just... Larger human being than Johnny Depp, I want to say he's. I want yeah, to say he's have... taller and he's like like stockier than he is just naturally. Yeah,
1: they have different body structures. Yeah, but... so
0: if he slimmed down, it wouldn't. I don't think it would look like. Oh man, this guy star to be like. Oh man, Tom Hanks is jack for this role, <laughs> and then it's like Robert Downey Jr. Would be like, yeah, probably he probably worked, but it'd be. I I don't think it would be like the same movie. I
1: think. It wouldn't be the same movie, but it would probably be the same emotion because... It'd
0: be the same tone. Yeah, because yeah.
1: Robert Downey Jr. was chaplain in the 90s too, and he was able to convey that, just that yeah. sadness that that Charlie had away from the screen. Oh yeah, no,
0: I think I think Robert Downey Jr. would probably work. It'd be... Because I think that's the issue with all the other actors. I think the tone would change. Like, Jim Carrey be more of a comedy. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks would probably have to be more of like... Like a drama kind of thing, and then it's like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. He can lean into the, into the drama a lot more, and the comedy he be he be just fine in. But I think Johnny Depp can just work the line a little bit better. That I think the look he had plays a lot better in the role. Because you know he
1: also studied Charlie Chaplin when he got this role, to show you know how can I convey these emotions without speaking? Because Edward doesn't talk a lot in the movie. So mm. it's a lot of facial expressions and mannerisms. So I, I noticed thought that was that. genius for him to go back to Charlie Chaplin. Because Chaplin's movies, uh, uh, almost all of them, I think, except for one or two, are silent.
0: A Great Dictator has sound in it. And, and I then, think...
1: I'm not sure if Limelight has sound in it.
0: I it, think Modern Times has a line in it. But I don't know about lime, Limelight.
1: Oh, speaking of Modern Times, when we're looking at The the Inventor's Lab after you know it's been abandoned... That's what I was kind of getting a vibe of from modern times. It looks like
0: it's the giant gears Mm -hmm. and all like the weird kind of like very impractical Rube Goldberg machine to make cookies.
1: So that's sounds kind of like, are we giving a a little Easter egg shout out to modern times if we are? Of course he is. That's awesome. I love modern times.
0: But yeah, I don't know. I think the movie is just fine. I think it's serviceable. I think, I think that's the thing. So usually in like, some of the movies we watch, um, I, it's either it's like I find something that just takes me out of the movie or it's like, uh, that makes sense, but it doesn't like do anything for me, or it's just like I just can't connect with anybody. Like that I think that was the issue when we did trick or treat you know a couple episodes yeah.
2: back.
0: I think it's like our third episode. Yeah. And like, since it was an anthology thing, I couldn't really connect to anybody. And you were able to connect to Sam because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, it's a cute, you know, Paragon of Halloween. And mm-hmm. I'm like, he's a he's a prop. Like, you know, he's just, he's just a reason to connect these stories. And I couldn't connect to anybody
2: mm-hmm.
0: in that one. And in this, it's, like, different. It's like, I connect to these characters so the little issues I have don't really matter all that much.
1: Was there one character in particular that you were able to connect to? Or was it just... Kind of like as a bunch. It's like,
0: well, that's the thing. Like, my philosophy is your movie's nothing without a good story and good characters. And your characters generally matter more than the story. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed Johnny Depp's portrayal of Edward, even though it's like, Edward's one of those characters where he is everybody's weird, awkward side. And like, Jim is everybody's high school bully
2: mm-hmm.
0: and kim's everybody's girl next door yeah and like that's the thing like there's so many people in this movie where it's like oh um oh god what's mrs Boggs' name
1: peg the peg.
0: Mom? yeah the mom peg is everybody's like like mom yeah like you know and that's that's the thing like everybody in this movie feels like yeah yeah i know you yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I can connect with that and i think that's the thing about this movie all the characters are not generic but they're they are honing in on a very specific thing that everybody can can say it's like yeah i i recognize peg that is basically my mom or that is basically Mm -hmm. the neighborhood mom or that is basically the dead mother for like my boy scout troop or whatever and it's like their their dad is like yeah yeah i i recognize that dad Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know and that's the the thing about edward scissorhands even if you kind of have issue with it you're gonna recognize like that character, yeah, that that was my awkward, you know, high school years. That was my awkward, you know, artsy fartsy years. Or that was that was my awkward high school bully, you know. Or that was my shagging wagon van because I'm not gonna go back to that van. That van is, is pretty bitching.
1: It I was alright. I was can all right. see
0: why Jim wanted that van. So there you go. That's uh, That was my go on that one. So that is why I enjoyed it. The characters worked and I was able to, maybe not personally identify with them, but I was able to identify the characters and really kind of just roll with it. And, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for a good romance story.
1: And it is a good romance story, even though it's not romance throughout the entire way.
0: Oh, God, no. There's For God's sakes, Edward almost gets raped in in the back of a hairdressing salon. Yeah, that I'm scene not, is
1: just so bad. I'm yeah. not going
0: to let this go, people. Like, what the hell? Why would you tell your granddaughter this story and keep in the attempted rape?
1: And, I mean, I also love that Edward, you know, shows up late to dinner. And And he he, just
0: blurts it out. And he
1: apologizes. Oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so, she took me to the back room, she took off all her clothes, and yeah, so I'm late. And Peg just looks like, I'm gonna kill her the next time I see her on the block. I
0: like how the dad didn't even acknowledge it. He just keeps going. He just keeps talking about his day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I recognize that. Hi, Dad. How's it going?
1: (laughs) But yeah, no, I think it's cool. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. Also, I have a film question for you. Sure, I'm the I, film nerd. Because I know you write treatments, and you work on scripts. Yeah. yeah. This movie was based on a 70-page treatment that was written in three weeks.
0: Okay, I know you don't like me swearing on this, but I'm, I'm going to do it. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. 70 pages? Jesus, tap dancing, Christ.
1: Okay. 70 pages. So,
0: and that was just the treatment, right? That was the treatment. Okay, so... For those who don't know how a treatment works a treatment generally for a i think for a feature the shorter the better you're looking at about like five pages is like the maximum you ever want to send out Mm -hmm. and what it's supposed to be it's like here are the main characters here's a little description of who they are maybe maybe like a little bit of backstory of them if it's necessary and then basically just a, a a short story of your script like oh this is this is what happens in the beginning this is what happens in the middle this is the first act second act third act here's the climax here's the ending and stuff like that 70 pages
1: 70 pages that's like
0: he wrote she or she wrote half the half the damn script there's probably whole chunks of like dialogue full scenes in there it's like hey this is how the script's gonna like look this is the formatting here's 50-odd pages of the first half of the movie. Well,
1: originally, Tim Burton wanted this to be a musical. So I wonder... Really? Yeah. And they I don't know if him and Caroline Thompson, who wrote the film, decided against it or what happened. I really can't see this being a musical.
0: I think it'd be a terrible musical if i'm being honest with you
1: because johnny depp you know has done musicals and he did a musical with tim burton which was sweeney, sweeney todd, todd which is a great movie yeah, it's but okay. oh also corpse bride i f- keep forgetting he's victor van dort and corpse bride hey. and that's also a musical but i can't picture this movie being a musical it it's perfect the way it is
0: i don't i don't know if it's perfect but i mean like i think if it was a musical to be like really bad <laughs> If yeah. I'm gonna, if I'm being completely yeah. honest, I'm just like Edward works because he barely says anything, and I can't imagine him having a giant like Jack Skellington as like oh whoa it's me like musical number. And, I think that would just be super cheesy.
1: And I think that's maybe what kind of saved this movie too, because Nightmare was filmed around the same time that this movie was filmed,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because it was a three-year process for Nightmare Before Christmas to be made. So this was happening behind the scenes. Yeah. So I think and this... Tim
0: Burton was producing that one so yeah. he had a lot of, you know, work in there.
1: Yeah, he had flexibility that he really didn't have to be there every day, so he could be on set with Johnny and Winona. So I think that's one way that he was able to get his musical and get his serious film at the same time.
0: Yeah. God. But 70-page treatment?
1: Yeah, I, I thought, you know, as a film person, that might rattle you a little bit.
0: Okay, because here's a little here's a little story. So I, you know who Kevin Smith is?
1: Of course.
0: Yeah. So right
1: after, I mean, I I believe for one of our anniversaries, I did take you to Hollywood Babylon where we got to see Kevin Smith in person. We
0: did. We got to watch his uh him recording Hollywood Babylon
1: at Bray Improv.
0: We did. It was cool. I still have one of the glasses from Bray Improv. But so Kevin Smith, I think this is after he did Clerks, and they were like. Hey, um can you just give us a you know an outline? I think this is when he was writing they they pegged him to write the Superman movie that was going to star Nicolas Cage is going to be directed by Tim Burton. Yeah, I remember Kevin that. And Kevin Smith was going to write it. Yes, everybody, that is real and there's pictures of a heavily mulleted Nicolas Cage wearing the Superman costume and it's glorious.
1: And looking but, just as pale as Edward. Yeah, yeah,
0: uh, Tim Burton had his ideas. Mm-hmm. So they were like, "Hey, Kevin Write, me, write us, like, a, a, a treatment and an outline, you know, just to get it back to us. And Kevin Smith is like, I've never written anything like that. Like, Clerks, I basically just wrote the script. I didn't write a treatment. I just, like, shat it out. And the only thing I can write all that well is dialogue. So we asked him, well, can I put dialogue in there? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that seems, you know, that's fine. Just, you know, a couple bits of dialogue, you know, just say, hey, this is kind of how that scene's going to sound. But, yeah, if you want to, yeah, you can splash some dialogue in there. He turned in, like, a 40-page outline, and it was chunks and chunks of dialogue, and he gave it to the producers, and they were like, what the fuck is this? And he was like, it's it's your outline. He's like, dude, an outline's, like, five pages max. What is this 40-page monstrosity? he's like, the outline. And they're like, oh, god damn it. But granted, you can actually get a hold of his script. It's a pretty good Superman movie. It's very nineties. Yeah. Brainiac's the main villain in it. It's pretty cool, but yeah, it was going to be produced by the same guy who did a Wild Wild West with Ooh. with uh, Will, Smith. Will Smith. And you know, more you Kevin know everybody, Klein. Kevin Klein. And the more you know everybody, that that movie almost happened. That was going to be our nineties Superman, and then the money fell out. But yeah, so uh, there's your little not based on this movie trivia. So yeah, uh, anything else you want to
2: go over?
1: I just love this movie overall. I'm I'm happy that you enjoyed it. I really yeah. thought you were going to give me a hard time and that you were going to say, "Oh, it's stupid. I don't like it." Well,
0: again, my ad- adverseness to the movie is not based on the movie at all. It's basically like generally Tim Burton isn't really my jam, but I can I can work with this. This is this is good. This is good. Dark Shadows, not happening.
1: No, no.
0: Alice in Wonderland, eh, probably not, not. Not really happening. Sweeney Todd is like, I like the musical bits, but the rest of the movie's kind of whatever. But you get what I mean.
1: The Nightmare Before Christmas.
0: He produced that. He didn't direct it.
1: Still his movie.
0: Yeah, it's okay. You're going to stab me, aren't you? Well, everybody. We don't
1: stab here at the film club.
0: Before uh, Miss Boo uh, murders me on this recording, why don't we tell everybody where they can find us?
1: Well, you can find us on Anchor FM and Spotify. We're on a bunch of platforms now if you don't want to listen to those too. And we're also on social media at the Film Club Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
0: And if you want to hear more of my crazy ramblings about movies and popping on my tinfoil hat, you can listen to me on the Double Feature Podcast. You can hear that also on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so on and so forth. And you can see it on Instagram at the Double Feature underscore Podcast.
1: Before we go, do you want to spoil what's next, next week's episode?
0: That's next, next week's episode. So, you wanted to do a spooky Halloween, and I was more than happy to oblige. We started with Black Christmas, the proto slasher, a movie that we didn't have a lot to say about, but. This next movie, I think we're going to have a lot to say about it.
1: Is it going to be a spooky Christmas?
0: It's going to be a very spooky Christmas. It's going to be a bloody Christmas. It's going to be a deadly night, silent night.
1: Are you excited?
0: Very excited. If you didn't catch that, it's deadly night, silent night. It's some really bad 80s slasher movie where a guy dressed up as Santa and starts killing people. Oh, it's going to be great. I mean,
1: who doesn't love slasher movies? Yeah, and yeah. Christmas movies. You just merge the two together, It's you got something special.
0: perfect unison. Also, there's like four sequels to that movie, and you're going to be really surprised. But, you know, that's what we're going to be watching next week. Feel free to watch along with us. I'm pretty sure you can find it somewhere.
1: It's got to be streaming somewhere, or just dig in through your parents' old DVDs. They probably have a copy.
0: Probably. Or
1: just come to Dean's house, where he has every movie ever made. I got a lot of them.
0: But that should wrap us up here at the Film Club Podcast.
1: We'll see you next week at the Film Club. Peace.